Welcome to Gradcast. I'm Callum. And I'm Krishna. And we're here to discover all the do's and don'ts of being a grad. This time on Gradcast. Questions. Ooh, that's a, yeah, it's a tricky one. Answers. It was probably like a four. And more. And so a follow-up question to that. Much more. Purely out of curiosity, do I have to move to Canberra? Gradcast. For grads, by grads. Supported by the Commonwealth Superannuation Corporation, CSC. Here's Krishna and Callum. We're joined today by Victoria Viri, a current graduate in the taxation stream at the Australian Taxation Office. Victoria's background has primarily been in immigration and assisting refugees in seeking safety from persecution. She's also worked for Aboriginal Family Legal Services, assisting with family law matters. Victoria, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me today. Victoria completed her Bachelor of Law and Bachelor of Business majoring in accounting at Murdoch University in Perth. She is currently one of three co-chairs for the Graduate Data Network, and we'll talk a little bit more about the Graduate Data Network and other graduate-led initiatives in today's episode. Our second guest today is David Randall. David is currently working as a spatial analyst at the Department of Home Affairs. He has been with the Home Affairs Department since February 2021 and works mainly on projects related to emergency management. So thank you so much for joining us today, David. Thanks for having me, Krishna. It should be a good chat. Awesome. And now here's here's what I find really interesting about David. Outside of work, David is a cyclist. He's the president of the Melbourne University Cycling Club. And this year, he joined a Canberra-based national level team called CCS Cycling. We will be learning more about David's cycling experiences in our conversation today. I'd love for you to expand on that, David. Um, But the first question I have for both of you, David and Victoria, is that having worked in the public service now for a year or longer, what would be the most challenging thing for somebody um, to get used to um, in the role um, as a graduate? And possibly, are there any things that graduates might be expected to um, involve in their day-to-day jobs which aren't always on the traditional job description? I think um, one thing that graduates have to be conscious about that's not in their day-to-day job description is really building their profile in the office. That can be um, taking on some additional work or just making sure you're networking and um, saying hi to people. Your profile is really important. It will help you get those high-level jobs and it will also um, just help you in the office in general. David, do you have anything to add to that point as well? Similarly, one thing I found um, not necessarily challenging in in my first year and a half um, in Department of Home Affairs, but it was certainly interesting. You gain an understanding of, one, how big a department like Home Affairs is, and most government departments are bigger than you first realise, how much... um, work goes on between different sections and between different branches and you get an understanding of the the overall structure of the department and how your team, the role your team plays in your section, the role your section plays in your department. Um, I, I found really interesting when people went in the graduate program that I did last year, not all of the graduates realised just how many options we had of different places that we could work in, different teams that we could 
um, try to engage to work on interesting projects. Um, I think when you look at uh, job openings across government, across most things, not just in government, you kind of say, oh, I'm going to be working on this. But there's a lot of opportunity to, to move around, which you wouldn't necessarily see just by looking at job openings. A follow-up question to that. Obviously, you've been in the public service for a while now. We get some mixed responses on some people like yourself saying that it's, you get an understanding of how big the department is and the ability to move across and um, tackle lots of projects. But we also get a lot of feedback from graduates saying that they are subjected to a lot of silos and departments being very far apart, actually. So what is your opinion on that? Oh, that's a, yeah, it's a tricky one. Uh, I, I think both can be true in a way. Um, like the project I've been working on is is very um, collaborative. Like a big part of my job is engaging stakeholders from different departments across the whole of the Australian government. Um, so maybe in, in the work that I'm on, I'm seeing, I'm part of an effort to counteract that silo nature of especially data holdings um, and there's not a lot of data standardization in a lot of industries including in government um, yeah I'd say both both are true actually I think it really depends like coming from the ATO there are some business lines that work independently um, and because they're so specific they don't really engage with other areas of the business and so you can become limited in what you're aware of um, but in law and policy design where I am at the moment you're the next stage up so you're aware of some departments below you but it is very easy to like get yourself in a box unless you're actively looking and actively choosing to engage with other people and see what's out there and that's why networking is so important because I found departments that I didn't even know existed and that aren't necessarily on the hierarchy website and that's just purely for talking to people in the office. Uh, Victoria, I've got a question for you. How do I know which APS department's graduate program to apply for? That's a good one. I um, definitely struggled with that last year when I was applying for jobs. I think first off you have to see if you fit the criteria, if your degree fits the criteria. And then also the one good thing about APS is it's not necessarily what your degree is unless you're going for a specific stream like law or like data analyst. It's just your ability to learn. So you can apply for anything. You just have to know what direction you want your career to go to, what your interests are, and just really read the job description. And also really read the graduate program description because that might affect how you feel about it. Like the ATO has a call centre rotation. There are some people who would automatically decide that's not a program they want to be involved in because of that rotation. So you just have to know yourself and you just make a pros and cons list for what you want and just go on like WA jobs or APS jobs online and go through the programs that are available David, was that a, a similar in your experience to how you decided which graduate programs to apply for? Uh, my approach was just apply for anything and everything to an extent, like especially in my background is data, right? There's there's a need and a thirst for data um, savvy people in, in all teams, in all parts of government. Um, I, I don't know how many government and non-government uh, programs I applied for and I didn't have a particularly good success rate 
but you're casting your net pretty wide and the program that I eventually got onto wasn't certainly wasn't the one I expected to um, be the most suited to um, and it just worked out that I ended up being finding my way into a team that absolutely needed someone with my kind of not necessarily qualifications per se if you're doing something like law the qualification matters obviously but just your kind of your really good multidisciplinary teams need people from different backgrounds from different um, academic and cultural and every all other kinds of backgrounds so just if you're not sure just apply and it gives you and if if nothing else it gives you practice with interviewing it gives you practice with those application processes so it can't be a negative the more interviews I mean, giving interviews is never a bad thing. And I've got a question. I've got a follow-up question for you, David, because my strategy when I was a grad was much like yours. Apply for all of them and as many of them as possible and just fingers crossed and hope for the best. So um, from memory, um, what do you remember your application process being like, given that you must have obviously applied multiple times? And are there any quick tips you want to share? Ironically, quick isn't... uh isn't a synonym for how I describe a lot of the graduate programs that I was involved, a lot of the application processes I was involved with. Home Affairs, for example, was very, very long-winded. Um, and a another quick tip that I would uh, note on that, on that point is don't necessarily um, hang your head if something doesn't work out that you were really looking forward to. The program that I actually ended up getting into and going through with, I failed the second stage of the interviewing and application process. And because of how these things work, that people get sometimes people get multiple offers and they can only take one, I actually ended up being part of like the refill for the third or the fourth stage of that process and I ended up getting the whole way through. Um, so just know that it's going to be challenging and it's going to test your patience but try to keep a bit of positivity and perseverance there because something and also maintain those relationships and don't um and, and try to be I guess gracious with it if it doesn't work out because an opportunity might come along down the line. I think David made a good point um Sometimes it's about getting your foot in the door with government. You always can jump to different departments. It's about building those capabilities. And you're definitely there to see wider opportunities than generally the Australian public. Um, so you can job hop a little bit if you want to. In terms of the actual application process, it's really easy to get disheartened because it is not a quick process. You have your cognitive tests you have to prepare for, and then you have... Um, written responses and several rounds of interviews so just be prepared that you could wait months and there are some people that get stuck in the merit pool and if you're in the merit pool just pat yourself on the back because it means you did do a good job there's and you're still a contender they might just not have positions available so don't get disheartened keep applying and just keep showing up and asking for feedback that's a big one Absolutely. Ask for feedback and, and hone your responses each time you put in an application because it's going to get repetitive and, you, and it's going to, you're going to put in those written application, those written responses a lot. Try to improve it each time you do it. There's a lot of, a lot of wisdom in that and, yeah, I certainly uh, experienced that as well, sort of doing the multiple applications and, yeah, I think just getting a little bit better each time. 
Um, Victoria, I've got a question for you. You are part of the Graduate Data Network, which is an APS grad-led initiative. Uh, what are some other APS graduate-led initiatives uh, or organisations? How do I take part in them? And what are the benefits of being part of them? You've got some APS-wide opportunities and there's um, everything from comms to digital. They're generally advertised through emails to the graduate programs um, specifically. So you can be part of an APS-wide newsletter and do some things for that. Taking part is all about just putting your hand up. They'll send an email around. You might um, be invited to some meetings. It might not seem like something you're interested in, but just go because the benefits for it is you get put in touch with SES, you get to lead your own initiatives and your own projects, and it sometimes puts you in a leadership position. So those skills are something that the grad program generally touches on, but it really helps put them into practice. Um, also look at your organisation. Um, the ATO has some great programs such like Toastmasters and everything like that. So just look, look on the APS websites, um, look at every opportunity that comes into your inbox and also like LinkedIn. LinkedIn has some great opportunities, especially in data. The data profession um, advertises quite a few opportunities that grads can get involved in. But just put your hand up, say yes, because nothing, like worst case scenario, you'll be rejected for the opportunity. Um, it can get stressful at times but it teaches you time management. It And also, it, if you communicate with your managers, they will be very sympathetic to allowing you time because they see the benefit in you taking it part of these opportunities. Uh, just purely out of curiosity, what is Toastmasters at, uh, at ATO? It's, so it's an opportunity. You basically learn how to do public speaking and then they um, you get into public speaking competitions. So you compete with... Um, different government agencies, but Toastmasters is also not just restricted to the APS, so you can be competing with people in private practice or at university. So it's just a great idea to overcome your fear of public speaking if that's an issue and also helping you learn to write speeches. So especially if you go up in the leadership um, pathway, it's great to be able to effectively communicate your point. That sounds, uh, that sounds really good. David, are there any, I don't know, like initiatives or opportunities that you have been part of or you could recommend? Uh, take advantage of the grad program that you're in. Um, I was pretty lucky. I came through the Digital Transformation Agencies program last year um, and I, I didn't get too much involved in the kind of um, different societies and all that kind of stuff outside of the cycling I do as well on the side. Um, but I really enjoyed getting to know people from different departments and the different things that they were working on and stuff. Um, I think people, especially like in my program, we did a graduate certificate on the side of our work as well and people kind of treated that as like, oh, I have to go to uni again kind of thing. I saw it as an opportunity to network and make friends while I was here because I, I moved here from, from Melbourne. So um, make the most of things that pop up because you might enjoy them more than you expect. And there'll be more from David and Victoria shortly. But first, Gradcast went to an Innovate Australia event recently and asked some of those there for their top tips for grads. 
We're at the National Convention Centre in Canberra and at the Innovate Australia conference uh, hosted by the Public Sector Network. Uh, I've just come out of some really interesting talks. Uh, we're near the exhibition hall where there's all these different partners uh, and we've just got, been going around and talking to some grads. I'm Brian, I'm an economist at the Attorney General's Department. What advice would you say maybe to a grad like just at the very start of their grad year? Yeah, um, I feel like being open, being flexible and being curious, that would be like my advice because it really opens up so many doors and I remember joining the APS and I thought that I'm not a data person but now I'm in a data role and I love it, so yeah. My name is Charlotte, I work at Services Australia and I am a projects officer. Look for as many opportunities as you can to learn that's meaningful to you. I'm Edmund, uh, I work at the Australian Office of Financial Management. Um, I'm in more of the accounting finance division, so, um, so mostly financial reporting and accounting sort of stuff. For me, what helped me is definitely meeting a lot of different new people. Um, it helps keep you sort of motivated, refreshed and like excited to see what you can possibly achieve throughout your career. So for me, it's definitely trying my best to sort of meet new people and growing my connections that sort of way, yeah. I'm Daniel and I'm also from the um, Office of Financial Management. For myself, um, I think um, probably just get your, like, sort of your hands dirty, like going into these sort of um, conferences is really great, meeting new people and just like sort of broadening your horizons as much as you can. My name is Sophie Kuster. I work at IP Australia, so that's intellectual property. Um, and my current role there is the customer experience group. So I work in the public education and awareness space um, in the comms department. And that basically is just um, putting our name out there um, in our outreach program to help people be educated on IP. Don't put yourself in a shell and, um, you know, and just sort of talk to the same people and uh, keep your head down, um, you know, network, talk to people. Um, I like to say a lot, it's not what you know, but who you know. So you never know what kind of people might be able to give you a job or uh, might see your potential and be able to put you in a role that really suits you. My name is Robin Sangwan. I work at Services Australia in the pharmaceutical benefits branch and my role is a program officer. Your managers know you're a grad and that you might not know a lot and they're always going to be helpful, like just ask questions. Not, there's no dumb questions. And there are always more questions. So let's get back to Callum and Krishna asking them and Victoria and David answering them. You're listening to Gradcast, proudly supported by the Commonwealth Superannuation Corporation. Welcome back to our Q&A with David and Victoria. Uh, Victoria, I've got a question for you. Do I have to move to Canberra for my APS grad program? You definitely don't have to move to Canberra for the um, APS grad program. They are offered in every state. However, some advice we were given, eventually some point in your career, you might have to make a decision to go up if you do want to move to Canberra because that is the primary base of the public service. But for the first few years, unless you're aggressively climbing that hierarchy, I think it's good just to learn what the public sector is like get comfortable in your um, department and you can stay home with your support system. But moving to Canberra, there are a few people who had to do it, especially because sometimes you can put your preferences in where you would like to be for your graduate program, but it's not necessarily 
the grad program you'll be allocated to. So you might not have a choice, but you can stay in your home state. David, was that your experience? You moved from Melbourne. Um, were you hoping to move to Canberra or were you sort of open to going anywhere? I, I think whether you have an option depends on the department you're going into. I think yeah. the policy varies pretty widely. Um, I think everyone that was involved in my program moved to Canberra. Um, I'm pretty sure home affairs is somewhat strict on you need to be in Canberra. Um, I can't speak for the entire organisation. It's huge. Um, but, yeah, I think I think it's a question you need to ask during the, the interview process, ask about their flexibility and, and their work-from-home options and all that kind of thing. David, question for you from one of our listeners. Um, you are obviously a champion cyclist outside of work. Um, what sort of extracurricular activities should I be getting involved in to help me um, in my application process? So I suppose they want to pad up their resume a little bit. Um, with some activities. So what is your advice for that? This is such an interesting question. Um, I had a couple of chats with um, some friends and fellow graduates about this actually um, over the last year and a half just because it's a, a bit of a, a common topic at the moment. You see on social media all the stuff about like grind set and, and doing side hustles and all this kind of stuff and uh, it actually drives me nuts actually. I'm, I'm absolutely not judging anyone that does it but me, I, I like you're allowed to have free time and you're allowed to enjoy your free time and not every hobby you have needs to be a commodity. Um, not everything you do has to be like transactional. I'm doing this hobby so that I can look good for this reason on my resume. You just do things because you enjoy them. But in terms of uh, what do I put on my resume, um, what kind of things should I get into to demonstrate skills that I have, it's all about if you're going to put something in your CV, in your resume or in a, in a about me section, it can either be, in my perspective, um, it can be for one or two reasons. One is to show personality, your interests, what kind of person you are. Um, and the second can be to communicate skills and, and, and things that you've practiced or picked up or worked on through doing a particular um, extracurricular activity. For example, my cycling um, cycling is all about perseverance and commitment and hard work and being in a cycling team you're going to have very very different personalities depending on the skill set of the cyclist it's a it's actually an interesting sport um like that and you have to be really effective communication and teamwork to do well as a cycling team um i also included in my cv uh that i did a fair bit of math tutoring while i was at uni uh, not just because I earned money for it. I specifically mentioned that I wanted to work on my communication skills and my ability to teach and pass on knowledge to other people in a team, for example. That is a huge uh, opportunity. If you can demonstrate to a potential employer that not only can you learn quickly, but you can also help other people learn quickly and pass on knowledge, that's a, a hugely valuable skill set. So if you're going to put something in on your CV, also think about what that says, what skills have you learnt, why did you pursue that? If it's just something that you really enjoy, like art or you know music or sport because you love sport and team sports are a good way to meet people, yada, yada, great, go for it. But um, also consider the skills that you learn from and work on through those hobbies or vocations. Victoria, did you want to add anything or do you have any things that you remember you added on your resume? 
So, because I was making my resume um, generalised for all my applications, I targeted it towards the private sector. So, for that, I put all my clerkships and all my volunteering on there. And that was purely because private sector likes to know that you've already built the capabilities. But I found when I had my interviews with the APS, they were more interested in the team sports that I participated in. And it was purely so they could see that I have that team working ability um, and also the leadership ability in some of those instances. It really depends on the organisation and it also really depends on the technical stream that you're applying for. Um, so, if you, for, for example, for me, if I was applying for a private law sector, they do want to see all those extracurricular um, because it is highly competitive. However, for the um, APS, it's great. It's always an added bonus, but it's not the it's not going to break your application. It's more about the person you you are because they can build capabilities and they have the resources to do so. They just wanted to, they just want to make sure that you're the right person for them. That you can work with a team that you can communicate with others. So anything like that. So even if you just play football, like you've played football for 10 years, put that on your resume if, and just say, this is my team working abilities, my ability to commit to something each week. I'm speaking up some common themes here on teamwork, communication and leadership skills. So I guess, you know, as David rightly said, not everything has to be transactional, but do what you love and maybe find some of these qualities in it and pop it on your resume. So thank you for that, guys. Um, my final question to both of you is all about security clearances. What's the go? What are the different kinds of clearances that you might need? Does everybody start at the same clearance? Security clearances are interesting. They are definitely differing between organisation. For example, I only needed a pre-engagement check. And I think the majority of us will need a pre-engagement check, unless probably for home affairs. But it also depends on the technical stream you're going into and what information you're going to be around. Um, they will ask you, so we've had some grads who first day on the job, they got told they had to apply for baseline clearance. Um, so it really depends. It's hard to know. I think go in with the knowledge that you have to pass pre-engagement and then they will tell you during your interview or they'll tell you when they offer, hey, just letting you know this opportunity is available. However, you don't have the job until you pass this level of security clearance. And did you have a different experience, David, with your background? Yeah, so it depends on the agency that you're going into and security agencies like Home Affairs have, for obvious reasons, or potentially not obvious, for reasons in regarding the kind of data that you're working with, as Victoria mentioned, lots more sensitive private information, um, uh, stuff to do with, with borders, with customs, taxes, who knows what it might be, uh, you, there are higher requirements there. So we, so in the, the resource you want to look for is the Australian Government Security Vetting Agency. Um, I needed to get a baseline vetting to get into uh, to home affairs um, and that was done once you'd basically passed all the other requirements of the application process. Generally, it is the recruiter that will foot the bill and organise it. Um, so I think in most cases, it's not something that you need to stress about while you're applying for things. Um, if you get to the point where you, they decide that, okay, let's start the security clearance process, that'll happen um, in its own time. Um, I've 
now I've got MV1, which is the stage above baseline, but that's only because I've gone into a particular team and a particular type of work that needs that kind of um, clearance. Okay, I've got a follow-up question for you, David, because I get asked this question a lot. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being easy-peasy, 10 being super difficult, how uncomfortable was your baseline security clearance interview? Um, I think I'm pretty boring, so mine was like maybe a 3 or 4. Uh, it, it, it depends on a, a few things. It depends on f- um, family factors and how much you've traveled overseas and how many close contacts you have overseas, not close contacts in the COVID sense, people that you're close with that are from overseas, overseas citizenships, the rest of it. Um, I think the point of the security vetting stuff is to who to make sure that you're not a vulnerability and you're not going to get um, offered bribes and stuff. Uh, I think for most people, it's not something that you really need to stress about, but it's something to be aware of. Because I'm a dual citizen and both my parents are from European countries, it was the application process and the request for more information that was harder than the actual interview. And just having to substantiate everywhere they've travelled in the last 10 years as retirees, because I still live with them, um, that was, I think, harder than the interview process. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate it, being given that you were a dual citizen? Um, so my application still processing, so don't know if I've got it yet. But um, it was probably like a four, just just purely trying to gather that information, especially when like my parents can't remember where they've travelled in the last 10 years and trying to go through photos to get dates. It was It's quite painful. <laughs> Good things to be aware of in terms of, yeah, applying for APS grad programs, uh, it's very likely that a lot of them will require some sort of level of clearance. So, yeah, I guess, you know, sort of being prepared for that and open for that. Got a question about after the graduate program. So what sort of opportunities are available after the grad program and who should I talk to about this? Victoria, I might ask this to you first because I guess you're coming to the end of your grad program. Um, Have you been talking to anyone about this? Do you have plans for what you'll do afterwards? So at the end of my graduate program, we get bid on to um, get into our final business line. So my basically trying to prepare for next year is just seeing what I actually have enjoyed about the program and kind of future planning as well. But then also looking at the opportunities and the jobs advertised, especially now that caretake is over, um, seeing if there are positions at APS 5 or APS 6 level that I qualify for, um, you can just go into your next business line and take a break if that's like if that's what you want to do but then also um i've applied for tap funding because the aps and the ato specifically allows you to seek higher education so that's something i thought i would like to do next year so i enrolled in my masters and the ato has been supportive of that so it's just before your grad program finishes, look what's available and kind of future plan where you want to be. You've been in the organisation long enough, so you've got sort of an idea. So just start seeing what's available and taking the opportunities as they come. Uh, David, I have a few because I guess you have obviously moved into a postgraduate program role. Um, yeah, what was that process like transitioning? So uh, in, in my graduate program in home affairs, the first six months, it was two, rotation, two rotations each of five-ish five or six months. Um, the first was set out for you um, and the second one you were able to go and, and decide on yourself um, 
And the biggest tip that I can give is be proactive. Um, try to do a bit of research into what other sections, what other teams and projects are going on that might be of interest to you. Um, and the point that was made earlier about networking is the absolute gold for that. Um, say, this is my skill set, these are, these are my interests. What kind of work do you think I might might be suited to um, spending time on? And it doesn't necessarily need to be something that you're going to do for the next rest of your career. Like I think from what I gather, people in the APS move between teams and between departments quite a lot. Um, if you have the opportunity to do a graduate uh, rotation in something that you're kind of 50-50 on whether you'll enjoy it or not, that's perfect. Because if you spend the six months there or the three months there and you're like, eh, it's, it's interesting, but it's not really, it doesn't make me bounce out of bed in the morning, then you've got the perfect opportunity to move on and try the next thing that you're interested in doing. Um, I did my research and I said I wanted to do something that was relevant to my the masters that I did, um, landed in uh, the rotation that I did for the second half of last year and then said, I really enjoy this work, can I stay? And they said, yep. And yeah, it was uh, good that I did that research and, and set that up. I think that's important to note because when looking at what you can do next year, it's not necessarily what you're qualified to do. So if you're an APS4 and you're an APS5, I recommend looking at jobs that are available that aren't in your business stream or something you're necessarily comfortable with because your capabilities aren't necessarily the business knowledge that you know. It's your ability to learn information, to kick, like to interact with your team, to really adapt. So don't be afraid to take opportunities that you might not necessarily be comfortable with. So that was just my two cents. I've got so many notes from today's um, session, actually, from both of you. Don't um, hang your head if things don't work out. Sometimes it's just about getting your foot in the door, keep an eye out for opportunities, ask for feedback, be patient because it can take months. Don't be afraid to put your hand up. Do a review at the end of the year and um, have an ability to learn. We've talked about being careful about home affairs because it's a gigantic application process. So thank you for that as well. Obviously, you're a year on, a year and a half on now into the public service life. So what is next for you? And are there any projects that you are working on that you'd like to share with us? In terms of next steps, um, I'm still really enjoying the, the job I'm in. I've got a really cool team. Um, recently in the news, uh, they announced the National Emergency Management Agency is um, moved across from Prime Minister and Cabinet into Home Affairs, and that's uh, what I'm spending a lot of my time on, supporting that um, that capability, and it's something that was like perfect from my master's, so it's been kind of a good news story there. Um, and, and I know you said that was your last question, what's next? But my last tip is, and this is something that I didn't realise when I was doing all my applications initially, there is absolutely no shame in getting asking someone to help you curate your CV to make it look pretty, to, to curate that information because I was kind of like, oh, it kind of shows that you need to ask for help. No, it, it actually shows that you had the, the um, awareness to say that, hey, this is something that isn't necessarily my forte. Um, help me help make this better, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think one of the advices we got in our last episode was also um, use your grad card as much as possible during your grad year because people will help you. And so just, yeah, what you oh, said yeah. is basically the same thing. Don't be afraid to ask for advice. So thank you so much. 
for that, David. And Victoria, would you like to add anything about your next sort of uh, big projects that you're working on? In terms of the GDN, our next big project is the Data Forum with the Data Minister, Gail Milnes. Um, that's going to be happening in March. We've just started sending out some advertising for it. So that's my next big project work-related. Um, for next year, I've taken advantage of government funding to do my master's, so that's something I'm interested in. And um, like David said, I'm just going around the office asking people for help in curating my resume and really like buckling down and seeing what my next step is, where I, where I want to settle in with the ATO and just kind of career planning a little bit. But so that's my next step, a little bit different to David's. That's really exciting for both of you guys. Um, and Victoria, best of luck for, yeah, I guess the moving out of the grad program at the end of the year. That brings us to the end of our Q&A session. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. Um, also, David and Victoria, are you guys happy for us to put your LinkedIn profiles on our show notes um, for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Shoot any questions. That's fine. It's always good for a chat. Fantastic. All right. So, yeah, to our listeners, um, yeah, check out the show notes. Um, feel free to reach out to David or Victoria if you have questions about the grant program or you want to follow things up. Um, thanks again for joining us, guys. It's been fantastic. Thanks for having us. It's been good. good to meet you all. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Gradcast is produced by Content Group on Ngunnawal land in Canberra. It's supported by the Commonwealth Superannuation Corporation, CSC. Check us out online and we'll be back soon, wherever you get your podcasts.